Welcome to the City Reach Baptist podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, at the height of Hollywood's golden age, Howard Hughes was everywhere. Here's a picture of Howard Hughes. He was known during his lifetime as one of the most successful individuals in the world. He came, became prominent as a film producer and then later on in the field of aviation. There was actually a movie that came out a few years ago that Cronald called his life called The Aviator starring Leonardo DiCaprio. He was tall, handsome and rich. He dated scores of Hollywood's most desired women. He was the envy of most people at the time. However, at some point during Howard Hughes's 40s, he disappeared and became a recluse. He set up a movie projector in his room, allowing him to endlessly binge watch his favorite films while he filled his body with drugs, and he never left. And so Howard Hughes is a symbolic figure. In the first half of his life, he showcased the promise of wealth and affluence. He was someone that everyone wanted to become. But in the second half of his life, he became a different kind of pioneer, showing us where a life of affluence ends up, that it ends up with emptiness and loneliness and addiction. Now, you might wonder, why bring up Howard Hughes, this odd person that you've probably never heard of? Well, because in the past, it was only cultural elites like Howard Hughes who had the capacity to become recluses. It was only people like Howard who had the means by which they could sit in dark rooms and binge watch and escape reality. But now this lifestyle is in the grasp of most of us. Social commentator Mark Sayers writes, previous ages understood that happiness and lasting pleasure might be elusive, yet we now inhabit a media-drenched landscape in which endless promises of improvement accompany us through our lives. Reflecting on this culture of promise, anthropologist Thomas D. Zeglinetti warns that there is no going back to reality. Social media and emerging technologies have made this place immersive. Therefore, we have been, listen to this, consigned to a new plane of being, a place where everything is addressed to us, everything is for us, and nothing is beyond us anymore. Do you realize that advertising giants now target you personally? There is an online profile of every single one of you, of the Google searches that you've made and the clicks of like on Facebook. They know, they have an emotional profile of you. They know when you're up, they know when you're down, they know when to send a targeted message to your smartphone to get you to consume. Again, Mark Sayers writes, This is the culture of superabundance, which doesn't just simply promise a life of comfort and opportunity, but also offers a never-ending parade of consumer goods and experiences. Older forms of consumerism required the individual to travel to stores or malls in search of satisfaction. This next stage of intensified consumerism comes to us in the form of home delivery, downloads and streaming, all increasing the strength of our individualism. You see, you can now sit in the comfort of your home and with the press of a button, order Uber Eats, 
and then sit in a dark room binging on Netflix. But is this delivering the promise of freedom and satisfaction? Or is it just providing more emptiness and more meaninglessness? You see, this morning we are asking the question, what are you going to do with your dash? Everyone in this room one day will end up in the same place. There'll be a tombstone and there'll be a date when you were born and there'll be a date when you die and there will be a dash. What are you going to do with your dash? You see, our consumer culture says that the way you should spend your dash is on pleasurable experiences. But is there another way to spend your dash? Is there another life script rather than the one given to us by our current consumer culture? Well, today we've invited you here because we want to present to you a different life script to consider. A life script that we have found is both rewarding and satisfying. You see, you don't have to blindly go along with what our culture is offering. There is an alternative. Now, of course, we're a church, and what we want to show you is we want to show you the life that Jesus offers. You know, when Jesus came, he challenged the way that people spend their lives. And I want to look at an interaction that Jesus had with a young man who was following a life script of his culture, a life script of abundance. And when he met Jesus, his whole life was turned upside down. And this uh, incident is recorded for us in Luke's biography of Jesus' life. You may not know this, but in the Bible, there are four different biographies of Jesus' life written by four eyewitnesses who spent time with Jesus, who saw the life of Jesus. They are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And this morning, I want to look at this incident or this story that comes from Luke chapter 19. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to Luke chapter 19. Also, the passage is going to come up on the screen if, you know, for you as well. So in Luke chapter 19, verse 1, Luke begins this way. He says, Jesus, he entered Jericho and was passing through. Now, the city of Jericho was a real place and is a real place. It still exists today. It's east of Jerusalem and it's uh, just north of the Dead Sea. And just like at the time of Jesus, Jericho was a major city. Um, it was one of the wealthiest cities in the region. They had a forest of balsam trees that they would export. And so it was a place of abundance. Well, Luke then says in verse 2, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. Now, I first heard the story of Zacchaeus when I was a young boy. Uh, and when I was a young boy, I pictured Zacchaeus as sort of like a tubby sort of man, a little bit like Danny DeVito or, or maybe like John Goodman. You know, a kind-natured, round sort of tubby guy, always good for a laugh, a little bit like Santa Claus. However, this is not how Luke describes Zacchaeus. This is not the image that he wants us to picture. Zacchaeus' name means in Hebrew, clean or pure. However, by the way that um, Luke describes him, he is anything but clean or pure. First, he says that he was a tax collector. Now, the job of collecting taxes in the first century was not what you might think. It was not some sort of cushy governmental job in an air-conditioned office. It was not some white-collar, clean-shaven sort of position. It was something much more sinister. 
At the time, the Romans were in power. Uh, They had conquered the world under Julius Caesar. And in order to fund their military conquests, they would collect taxes. And in order to collect these taxes, they would put out the contract for tax collecting, and the highest bidder would get that contract to, to collect taxes from the people. And as you can imagine, the sort of person that was attracted to this type of work was not some clean-shaven you know, sort of person. Typically, they were a gangster, a criminal. No self-respecting Jew would sell out and go into business with the Romans, only someone who had a dark side. And the tax-collecting business was open to abuse. And of course, human nature being what it is, is tax collectors abuse the system to the max. You know, tax collectors were obliged to collect a certain amount for the Romans, and then they were allowed to collect on top of that whatever they wanted in order to get their profit. And of course, they collected way more than they should have. And so they were hated by the people, and they became synonymous with extortion, greed, and corruption. And so they lived a life of superindulgence, indulging in everything that they could from their riches. So this is the sort of person that that Zacchaeus was, he wasn't like Danny DeVito, he was more like Al Capone. He was less like John Goodman and he was more like a criminal who would extort protection money from shop owners. He was less like Santa Claus and he was more like the mafia. In fact, in verse two, it says that Zacchaeus was not just any type of tax collector, but he was a chief tax collector. He was high up, he would have had people working for him. Who knows how many people he had extorted from to get to that position? Who knows how many lives that Zacchaeus had ruined? He was not some clean-shaven office worker. He was a gangster. But he was following the life script that was given to him. The life script that says more money, more influence, more consumption leads to life. Now, this is further supported by Luke's description of Zacchaeus. He says in verse two that he was rich. You know, many people think that riches will lead to a flourishing life. And this is certainly what Zacchaeus has thought. He had sacrificed everything, being clean and pure, to become a tax collector. You know, it's interesting, as I look out at you all here today, I think probably in this room, there's probably not anyone in this room who truly does believe the idea that money buys happiness. I think we're all too smart to know that money doesn't buy happiness. But it's been interesting in the last five years that the script has been flipped. Rather than money buy happiness, I think what we are told is that cool experiences do buy happiness. You know, if you're above 60, you know, that European holiday that they advertise on the boat going throughout all the castles, you know. I don't know who that, does anyone know who that who advertises that? I, you, know, those, so, you, know, you know what I'm talking about, those European holidays that they try and get the baby boomers to buy, you know. Hoffman, that's the guy who does that. You know, Hoffman Travel. Or maybe you're younger here today and what you're told is that, you know, what will give you happiness is a, is a, you know, a gap year through Asia. Or maybe just enough money so that you'll be able to go to the Barossa on the weekend and sample wines and have a great life. So why, we, why none of us is probably dumb enough to think that money buys happiness? I think we do buy into this idea that cool experiences will give us happy and money, happiness, and money does buy cool experiences. But, you know, with all his wealth, 
there was something missing in Zacchaeus' life. We know this because as it says in verse 3, it says, And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. You see, Zacchaeus had tried to satisfy the hunger in his life with abundance, but he was still empty. And when he heard about Jesus, this traveling rabbi, this one who was performing miracles, this one who some were saying was the Messiah, these hunger pains grew worse. He had to see him. A desire to know God that had laid dormant started to grow. It was a voice that he could not silence. He had to see Jesus. You know, one of the privileges of being a parent is watching your children grow up. And as they grow up, they often come out with the most funniest expressions. You know, when my daughter Emma was four years old, um, I'll never forget one of the things she used to say to me is she used to come up to me and she would say, Daddy, can I play the bee pewter? <laughs> can I play the bee pewter, Daddy? <laughs> it was so cute. But also, another thing about children is often they don't know when they are hungry. Emma would often come up to me and she would say, Daddy, my tummy hurts. My tummy aches. And when she would say that, I thought that there was something wrong with her, that she was getting sick, until I realized that I hadn't fed her and she was actually hungry. <laughs> her tummy pains were actually a result of her hunger. You know, many of us are just like that. We have this deep ache in our souls. And we don't realize that it's a soul hunger, a deep soul hunger that cannot be satisfied with just an abundance of things or cool experiences. You know, it is ironic that in countries where there is an abundance of food, entertainment, clothing, and consumer items, levels of depression, anxiety, and loneliness are reaching epidemic proportions. For example, in the UK, levels are Levels of loneliness are at such a high proportion that they have now appointed in the government a minister for loneliness, a government minister who is there to investigate how they can overcome this epidemic of loneliness among the people in the UK. You know, I was reading this week that anxiety and depression cost the global economy, get this, $1 trillion annually, $1 trillion and between 1990 and 2013, the number of people suffering from depression and anxiety increased by nearly 50% worldwide. As we've seen an increase in technology and abundance and affluence, it hasn't filled us up. It's actually made us more anxious and more worried than ever before. You know, it's interesting. In a week's time, I'm going to be going to Nepal, going to visit friends of mine who have very little. One of my friends, he literally lives in a tin shed by the church that he pastors. It is hot in summer. It is freezing in winter. Yet he and his wife are probably the happiest, worry-free people that I have ever met, and they have literally nothing. Literally nothing. No Netflix, no Uber Eats, they have nothing. Could it be that life doesn't consist in the abundance of what you possess? You know, we are living at a time when the gap between what our culture promises and what it provides is growing wider and wider. 
Western culture promises you to deliver you social and personal utopia all with the click of a phone, but is it fulfilling you? Just think about it for a second. Are you all that fulfilled? Or do you have a deep soul hunger? Is there another way to satisfy that deep soul hunger? Well, Zacchaeus found that there was. Luke says in verse 3, And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he couldn't see over the crowd because he was so small. And so maybe he thought, I should just go home. I mean, there is no way this rabbi wants to have anything to do with me, a tax collector. But Zacchaeus, such was the soul hunger in Zacchaeus that as it says in verse four, he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was about to pass that way. So he climbed the tree and he waited and he watched as Jesus moved closer and closer. He seemed different from other rabbis. There was something in his eyes, something in the way that he looked at people. His eyes were piercing and yet welcoming. And now his head was moving in the direction of Zacchaeus. His eyes were fixed on Zacchaeus. Was he looking at him? Zacchaeus looked to see if someone was behind him. And then came the voice of Jesus with words that Zacchaeus will never forget. They're found in verse 5. Zacchaeus. Make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Zacchaeus could not believe it. For years he'd been alone and empty, cut off from polite society, and now Jesus was extending to him the hand of friendship. Something in Zacchaeus' heart changed. For the first time in his life, he felt the hunger pains start to subside and he found himself welling up with a different emotion. In verse five, as Luke says, in verse six, he says, so he hurried and he came down and he received him, Jesus, joyfully. You see, what are you going to do with your dash? You can either follow the life script of our culture that says that life is found in consumption but I think that will lead you to the same place that it led Zacchaeus. It will lead to emptiness and loneliness and addiction. It will lead you to having a soul hunger. Like Howard Hughes, you will be stuck in a prison of your own consumption. But there is another place. There is another way, a place to look. You see, the Bible actually says that life is about Jesus. Jesus actually said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In John 17, verse three, Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. In John 6, verse 35, Jesus said, and he's using a metaphor, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not hunger. Whoever believes in me will not thirst. If you come to Jesus and you know Jesus, your soul will be satisfied. You won't hunger anymore. You won't thirst anymore if you come to know him. So how do you come to know him? How did Zacchaeus come to know him? You know, many people think that to become a Christian, what you need to do is you need to become a good person. You need to do all these things and, and become a good person. But Zacchaeus was not a good person. He was a tax collector. He'd already stuffed up. He'd already sinned. Now, all you need to do, like Zacchaeus, 
is you need to allow Jesus to come into your life. When he asks, when he says, I want to come in, you need to receive him into your life. The Bible says this in Romans 6.23. It says, for the wages of sin is death. You know, when you work, who here works for a living? All right, good, good, good. So when you work, you get paid. You earn your wage. You know, you don't write a note every fortnight to your boss saying, thank you so much for paying me this fortnight. You're so generous. No, you don't do that because you've earned that wage. You're getting what you deserve. And the Bible says that because of our sin, we deserve death. You know, what is death? Well, when you think of physical death, physical death is the separation of the body and soul. But this is speaking about spiritual death, the separation of our soul from God. When we sin, it separates us from God. And this is what leads to the emptiness and the meaninglessness and the addictions in our life. It comes from sin, from us being cut off from God, our souls from being cut off from God. So the wages of sin is death. But here's the good news. The free gift of God is eternal life. God wants to give you a free gift. It's not something you earn. It's not something you deserve. You deserve death. But he wants to give you the free gift of eternal life, a life with God that begins now and will continue for all eternity. And how does this come about? For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God sent his son Jesus to come. He died on a cross for our sins, taking our penalty, taking our sin, dying the death that we should have died on the cross. And then three days later, he rose from the dead victorious so he could offer to each one of us eternal life, a new start with God. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So how do you receive this free gift of eternal life? Well, just as if I gave you a gift, you would need to take it. If God gives you the free gift of eternal life, you need to receive it. You need to receive Jesus into your life. You need to do what Zacchaeus did. He allowed Jesus to come into his home, into his life, and he was transformed. In verse 8, Jesus stood and he said to Jesus, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. This is amazing. Here was a man who had been ruled by greed and now he's becoming generous. This is a man who lived for himself and now he's giving to the poor. But then it also says, he goes on to say, and if I've defrauded anyone, I will restore it fourfold. Jewish law only demanded that you pay back double, but he is willing to pay back four times the amount. A man who had ripped people off is now willing to make restitution. He was completely changed. As Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. And today, your life can completely change. 100%. 100% today. Today, your life can change. Now, I know that for many of you here today, you probably need more time to investigate who Jesus is and the claims of Christ and all of that sort of stuff. And we want to journey with you in that. We understand that for many people, they have questions and we want to take the time to answer your questions. But if God is speaking to you today, you can receive Jesus into your life and your life can be filled. You don't have to be empty anymore. You can be filled with his joy, with his peace, with his life.
You see, what are you going to do with your dash? We all get one life. There will be a day that you are born. There will be a day that you die. There is a dash in between. What are you gonna do with your dash? You can spend it, as our culture says, on good times and consumption. But I think the testimony of history and the testimony of Zacchaeus and the testimony of Howard Hughes is that it only leads to more emptiness, more brokenness, and more addiction. Or you can give your one life that you've got back to Jesus and invite him to come into your life and you can give it to him and say, Jesus, I wanna live for you. I give my life to you. This week, the oldest woman in our church, or the longest standing member of our church, passed away, passed into the presence of God. Uh, Merle, precious Merle Jenkins. She was 95 years old. That's a pretty serious innings, isn't it? <laughs> she must have been good to her parents. <laughs> but she had been in this church since, she was basically born, and like she grew up in this church as a kid. She's in this church for 95 years. It's amazing. And she gave her life to Jesus, and she lived for Christ. She lived for him. She lived for him her whole life. That, my friends, is a dash well spent. How are you going to spend your dash? Your cool experiences will come and go. You can record them on Facebook or Instagram, but they're still going to come and go. Only, only things that are eternal will last forever. And I would say to you, hand over your life to Jesus. Invite him into your life. Receive the free gift of eternal life. And you'll have something that this world can never take away. Never take away from you. So if that's you here today, if God is speaking to you in this moment, I'm going to pray a prayer. And I want you to just pray that prayer back to God. Um, we have this card and... In a few moments after the prayer, I'll get you to fill out the card. Basically just says, I've decided to follow Jesus or I would like to talk with someone. Um, and someone from our staff will get in contact with you. And then what will happen is the band is going to come and play an item song to us. And we'd love you to fill that out. And, or even just speak to someone who invited you here today. Talk to them about any questions you might have. We have the Alpha course coming up, which is a course that seeks to address people's questions and help people who are investigating this whole thing to, to, to see what Christianity is all about. But if you're here today and God is speaking to you, and Jesus might be just speaking to you right here, then you can just pray this prayer. So let me just pray a prayer right now. And, and let's bow our heads. And There's no magic in the prayer. We're just talking straight to Jesus. So pray this along with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I realize that I've been living for myself and the result of that has been death. But I turn to you now and want to receive the free gift of eternal life. I thank you for dying on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven of all my sin and I hand over my life to you right now and receive you into my life as my Lord and Savior. Lord Jesus, I thank you for all that you've done for me, and it's in your name I pray, amen.